0: Marking its 40th anniversary in 2022, Blue Door is the largest emergency housing provider in York Region, providing life-saving support to children, youth, adults, seniors, and families at risk or experiencing homelessness. Along with offering emergency housing and housing retention support, in the past two years, Blue Door has expanded its service offering to further work toward preventing and ending homelessness through Inclusion, the first supportive housing program for 2SLGBTQ plus youth in York Region. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, providing supported skills training to help youth and adults break barriers to employment and secure meaningful careers in construction trades. And launching in 2022, a health hub which will include a nurse and in-reach system navigator to help people regain the health and well-being needed to secure and retain permanent housing. Join Blue Door's mission and become part of the solution by learning more at bluedoor.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it Welcome with a friend. Welcome
1: to another episode of On The Way Home. I am Michael Braithwaite from Blue Door. And this week we have not one, not two, but we have three amazing and brilliant guests um, and talking about something very, very important. Before we get to that, let me talk to you a little bit about the folks that bring you this Uh, podcast at Blue Door my organization and our friends at the Canadian Alliance and homelessness if you don't know the Canadian Alliance and homelessness runs the biggest conference in our sector in the homelessness and housing sector that's gonna happen beginning of November Uh, probably by the time this airs you may or may not be able to get the early bird discount but you want to get in and get registered to choose uh, the different uh, courses and speakers are gonna attend at that it's both virtual if you don't want to make the trip to Toronto or you could go in person, it's the first time in a couple of years that they've been able to do it in person. So it's really great to get there and network and chat with people. But there is a virtual option as well. Check it out on there at cah.ca, for their conference. They also do great work with the Built for Zero um, project that they're working on. If you want to become a Built for Zero community, and I encourage you to become a Built for Zero community, go to their website, chat with their team. They do great work and they've, they've reduced homelessness in, in numerous different uh, cities throughout Canada uh, with their leadership. So that's pretty cool. And my organization, Blue Door, uh, most recently, probably one of the most recent um, podcasts we did, we are working with Habitat for Humanity and the GTA and a group called SHS Consultants, worked on a project called Dwell. And what Dwell looked at, it was a solutions lab where we looked at could people um, have rent geared to income uh, apartments but still build equity? So they step away with equity. After five years, they step away with $10,000. We started on a path, could it lead to home ownership? Uh, and so we said, could it lead to similar benefits, why people want to want to own their home? And sometimes of have equity when they leave with something um, so they can uh, have different uh, paths forward. So that's pretty cool. Check out Dwell and that podcast. We're working on that. And as this podcast drops, we most likely will be opening a new 18-unit transitional housing unit built by the region of York, owned by the region of York. They do great work. They did this in 18 months, which is incredible. It's a beautiful building. Uh, Be dignified, affordable living for 18 people. So that's pretty cool. And in York region, we need every uh, unit that we can find. We're losing units at a rate of 15 to 1. Uh, So this is good news. So good things happening at Blue Door, good things happening at CH. But let's get to our guests today. Uh, Two of these guests are veterans on the podcast and we have someone new as well. I always welcome new guests. I love this podcast uh, selfishly because I learn so much every time we have guests on. I love this stuff. So with us today, we have Dr. Caitlin Schwan, who is the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network National Director. Now listen, if I was to read all these bios, because these three individuals are so accomplished, it would take the entire podcast. So we're just going to do a quick intro and then really get into a great conversation. I also have uh, Kalud Beg with me, uh, Keepers of the Circle Housing and Homelessness Research Lead. Kalud has been on this podcast before, He uh, continues to do great work as the Director of Policy and Community Engagement with the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network. And finally, I have Katlia Lafferty, who's a Northern Dene uh Crematis uh, novelist specializing in intellectual property law with a focus on mitigating cultural appropriation and indigenous victimization in storytelling narratives. She is co-chair of the National Indigenous Feminist Housing Working Group. We ask this question at the beginning of every podcast because it means a little something different uh, to everyone. There's there's similar themes. Uh, but that question is, what does home mean to you? Uh, Khalid, we'll start with you, then we'll go to Katlia, and we'll finish with Kate.
2: So um, I guess that's a... That's a bit of a warped question for me because I am—I uh, I call myself doubly displaced because my family history started somewhere in South Asia, and and they were first displaced due to partition of India and Pakistan, and second displaced when I come when I came to Canada uh, and immigrated to Canada with my family and my parents. So, um, home for me has a lot of meanings. I'm um, learning where my family comes from, where my ancestors come from, and then I'm trying to keep connected with a culture. That I grew up in the first part of my life and uh, kind of stays relevant as I, I continue living here on, on on so-called Canada and Turtle Island. So um, for me, really, home is where community and people are, um, where I can connect with people and where I can feel most myself. And, and that's how I would define home.
1: Caitlin, uh, last word. What does home mean to you?
3: Yeah, I love this question. Um, an honor to be here with you folks and my colleagues. Um, you know, when I think about home, I've increasingly been thinking about it in relation to like autonomy and agency. Um, so being in a space where I have control over my body, over my thinking, over how I kind of come to understand the flow of my life. Um, I think it's really Foundational to freedom. We often don't think about housing in terms of the kind of space it creates for us to think about your world, think about your relationships, your spirituality, your politics, um, and, and to kind of make meaning. We, we certainly do think about it in, in a roof over your head kind of more structural way. and um, I've had you know the pleasure of working with many colleagues who've, who've tried to explode that definition. Um, but at this moment in my life i I really am thinking about the ways in which home creates the opportunity to think and uh freedom of thought uh, and um it but again rests upon being in housing that is safe, that is secure, uh that is free from abuse that that reaches the standard of adequate housing um, and as as Katlia beautifully said, you know home is is the beginning, it's the beginning um of, of life and in, in so, so many ways. And uh, yeah, an honor to be here uh, with each of you talking about this.
1: Yeah, a common theme I see across when people talk about it is that safety aspect, right? It's where I can be myself. And if I feel safe, I can think, I can start. It's where I start my day, it's where I end my day. Um, and, and I could just be myself, right? Um, and common themes around family as well. So thank you all for that. Um, So today we're going to focus on two human rights claims that were submitted on June 14th. Uh, One is the Crisis Ends With Us from the Women's Network and the other Homeless On Homelands from the National Indigenous Feminist Housing Working Group. Caitlin, can you tell us a little bit about your submission and then we'll go to uh, Kalud and Katlia to expand as well uh, on uh,
3: each claim. Absolutely. Um, so just a bit of background for for listeners. Um, for those of you who don't know, we have new legislation as of 2019 in Canada that establishes housing as a human right, um, the National Housing Strategy Act. And under this legislation, there's a new um, kind of human rights accountability process where groups groups and individuals can bring forward systemic housing issues for review Um, by this independent human rights body, kind of a watchdog. So this process um, or this opportunity to create these submissions um, opened up just about just two months ago. Um, So what we have been doing at the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network over this year is building towards creating a human rights claim that really articulates um, what we see as some systemic housing issues that are deeply linked to to gender. Um, Our claim that that we submitted, and you can find on our website at womenshomelessness.ca, kind of articulates that the housing system we're currently living in is not equitable and that it has a discriminatory impact on marginalized women and gender diverse folks. Um, And that this is really predicated on the ways in which we invisibilize the unique circumstances and needs of women and gender diverse folks uh, when it comes to housing, and the argument we made is that the failure of the government of Canada to to adequately address housing need and homelessness has manufactured a human rights crisis for marginalized women and gender diverse folks across Canada, and the effects are enormously severe and. I imagine many of your listeners will be familiar with them. Uh, We know women are separated from their children due to housing status. We know women and gender diverse folks remain trapped in situations of chronic poverty and abuse, um, remain vulnerable to exploitation. Um, The ways in which we have known about this for decades and um, systematically underinvested in housing programs that can actually get at those issues, we are saying is a significant human rights issue, and it's an issue of discrimination as well. Um, And what's important is that it's, you know, there need not be necessarily an overt attempt at discrimination in housing policy, but the way it is landing in the lives of marginalized women and gender diverse folks has this discriminatory impact. Um, And so what our claim attempted to do was Uh, assert that this is we have a right to housing we have a right to substantive equality we have a right to equitably benefit from investments in housing and um it's a really really powerful moment I think for us as a movement and I wanted to read just very briefly uh kind of a key statement in in our claim in this regard um uh, the claim states, we see no future for ourselves in the current housing regime. Housing has become, in effect, the new frontier for the subordination of marginalized women and gender diverse people in Canada. While our present circumstances have, not, have been determined for us, the future is not yet decided. We offer this claim as part of our efforts to author a future for ourselves, our community, and our planet. So... This is the kind of broad ethos of the claim, and and throughout it we document systemic issues uh, we see in policy, um, do legal analysis, human rights analysis, and of course are guided by lived experts um, and their testimony, deputations, and and leadership in in establishing the claim. Um, And we are truly urgently at like hoping that the advocate will review our claim and really look at the systemic issue. And uh, we were very humbled to be able to put this claim forward in partnership with the National Feminist Indigenous Working Group or Housing Working Group. And uh, Kalu and Katlia will speak to this, but it was just an honor to be creating this this claim and, and launching it at the same time as as that powerful group. So that's a bit of background. Uh, it's an exciting moment for us.
1: Uh, very much so. Very powerful. And, and, and thank you for that, uh, Kalu and there, you'll
4: speak to the second claim, I believe? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, yeah, we submitted uh, alongside the Women's Network and um, we highlighted uh, four violations. One was the uh, lack of action on the calls to justice for the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls report and the TRC calls to action. The second one is the failure to provide adequate and culturally appropriate housing on our own terms as Indigenous people. And the third is the interjurisdictional neglect, multiple system failure and institutional betrayal of Indigenous people. And the fourth violation we had is the security of tenure under the National Housing Strategy Act and security of Indigenous land tenure which is what I'm very interested in, Um, being from the Northwest Territories in particular. uh, We see a lot of homelessness and housing issues here among um, Indigenous people, and um, we're taking this claim one step further where we're not just submitting one claim, we're actually gonna be advocating on the ground here in the Northwest Territories, helping people experiencing uh, homelessness in particular to submit claims because one of the problems is that um the housing advocate's not really going to get all of the voices of people because when people are homeless or experiencing the impacts of inadequate housing, they're not going to be sitting at a computer submitting a claim they're you know their their main concern is getting a roof over their head and having housing and a lot of the times in these northern communities there's la- lack of access to internet and I know that the government has been saying that they've been going to communities to try to get these um submissions, but it's not enough. There are so many people experiencing home homelessness and housing and their, their voices are not being heard. So anything that we can do to make sure that we can submit those claims for them and help is what we're um, doing now going forward. And then we're also going to be um, hopefully using that data um, and that gathering of information for other purposes as well that are um, in line with Indigenous principles of living in line with the land and, and um, land back and just um, all sorts of um, important initiatives of um, getting back to figuring out who really does have the underlining title in Canada um, when it comes to land claims and it really just goes hand in hand with um, all aspects of you know even when you're thinking about green energy and implementing green energy or getting off of the power grid I really think that we can be innovative in our next steps when we talk about housing in general.
2: Thanks for that introduction, Katya. and I think you captured the heart and soul of what the Claims meant to, meant to be doing, which is giving communities across um, Canada that agency and power and control on their own human rights process and to... Take um, essentially take the our the human rights claim that we've prepared at a very national level and actualize it and actualize the process in at a community level and at a local level because one thing that we know working with uh, indigenous communities across um, provinces and territories is the their underlying realities are the same but the actual context. The ways in which communities articulate what housing and home means to them is different and it's unique and it's rooted in the culture and practices and realities of those communities. So, um, one of the really I guess big tasks that we've we've taken on with this claim and really under the leadership of people like Katlia and Marie McGregor Pita Wanaqued, who's an, our other co-chair on the ne- on on the neck on the working group, has been how do we not just talk about housing in isolation because one of the most important and critical aspects of housing for Indigenous women, girls and gender diverse people is their relationship to land and their the, the, the rights that they already have been promised through treaties and the relationship that they have vis-a-vis treaty with the Canadian government and the Crown. So the articulation of housing rights in our claim has called for the Federal Housing Advocate to take a transformative approach to human rights, to not just take a one-dimensional approach but uh, to human rights as articulated in NHSA, which is the National Housing Strategy Act, but also to be looking at it in, uh, in I guess, like uh, through the lenses of other rights instruments that Indigenous peoples have in uh, Canada. And also to be looking at inherent Indigenous rights as articulated by Indigenous people themselves, the right that Indigenous people have, regardless of any colonial institution and what colonial institutions promise them. So really the claim a—is a is a 50-page document and, and not necessarily um, something that has all the answers, but calls for um, uh, the, the federal housing advocate and other bodies that are currently involved in human rights work to look at Indigenous housing from that lens, from the lens of uh, inherent Indigenous rights, the lens of la- right to self-determination, land rights and land justice, and how does housing fit in that picture? Because we can't isolate housing to being just, providing someone a, a unit somewhere. Um, we have to look at it and how communities articulate what that right means to them.
1: Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Now, these challenges you talk about, uh, we were working on for a number of years, now you went... now. To get to this process, how did you he get here? Why was this the, the the chosen path forward, and why is it so important? Why should people really be pushing hard and getting behind this? Uh, I think we can start with uh, Katlia and include this time, and then we'll go to Kaitlin.
4: Well, for me, um, I got to this because I was the uh, chair of my First Nation, Yellowknife Stoney First Nation, for their housing. Um, program that was operated by the First Nation, but still very much controlled by the territorial government and CMHC, the federal government. And I got to see firsthand the um, just the dispossession that uh, the people in my community were experienced. They were basically tricked into thinking that the homes that were being placed onto their land were going to be theirs one day and that they were renting to own. And somewhere along the way that that changed hands and the policy became uh, one where they lost out on their land and their homes. And um, this happened quite like right around uh, all of the territories uh, when housing came in. And one of the things housing did was it encroached on a lot of our communities um, without consent. And one family in particular that I know, um, this was only in the 1980s, they went out hunting in the fall for about six weeks, and they left their home by the by the water. Their home was a humble little shack. They didn't have running water or electricity, but they lived off the land in every way possible. They didn't need to work. They didn't need to make money. They were very content and happy. Mm-hmm. And they all went out the whole family the kids and all went out on the land and hunted for six weeks and came back and their home was completely gone and bulldozed to the ground and housing came and put in a home pretty much right in the same spot and then told them that they needed to pay rent and um, they needed to work and they needed to get educated because they couldn't get a job with the government if they didn't have the proper education and so you just see this evolve and evolve in all of these issues build and build upon each other and now this family is completely separated. Um, they're no longer unified. Uh, the mother, the grandmother was taken out of the home. The grandmother can no longer help to support the children and, and teach the language. The father can no longer go and hunt and teach his children how to hunt. Um, it goes on and on and now they have, they're in thousands and thousands of dollars of arrears. And this is just one family. Housing just like residential school, has affected every single one of the Indigenous people I know. So it is not just residential schools that has had an impact on Indigenous peoples in Canada. It is the housing system. It is the education system. It is the child welfare system. It is every single system of government that has impacted Indigenous people. And in the North, we are majority Indigenous people here, and we are not treated... Um, like the royalty that we should be because these are our territorial lands, these are our ancestral lands since time immemorial. And that is why I'm here and that is why I'm fighting to make sure that my mother no longer has to live in housing. My mother no longer has to walk the streets. I don't have to fear that if I'm living with uh, a white man that I might get kicked out of the house and no, not even have my name on a lease because I am a woman. And so there, there's just so many issues that um, need to be brought forward because housing is so individualized we can't just talk about it in one um, sector we have to think about it in on off reserve we need to think about it in um, in in smaller pieces because even though it's one big piece there are so many small um, issues and they can be tackled but it's going to take people like us and people working together for a main um, vision to change that and to change the policies and push the government to make changes within their policies. It's a policy. It's not that hard to change. They've been doing it for years and years and years. The government has been doing it behind our backs for years, changing policies to fit their regime. So now we need to do the same. And just adding
2: to that, Michael, um, specifically engaging with the process of the federal housing advocate is because it is a monumental decision, the right to housing getting recognized within uh, Canadian law. And it does give the the process of demanding accountability on the right to housing more teeth than it has before. Um, and again, like recognizing that the federal housing advocate and the office of the federal housing advocate is mainly looking at systemic issues. And it, it's not necessarily something that's cha- currently we're challenging in courts. What we're really wanting to see is what Katlia said, policy change, trying to see what kind of systems level gaps uh, and loopholes can be recognized and called out by the federal housing advocate. And then essentially um, be directing governments to look seriously into the right to self-determination for indigenous communities. And particularly when it comes to indigenous women and gender diverse people, looking at how do you create reclamation of the roles that Indigenous women have always held in their communities as caretakers, as protectors, as home builders. Um, so how do we create those sort of pathways through larger systemic changes? And that's really why we chose to engage with with the Federal Housing Advocate. And it's not the only thing that the working group does. The working group is looking at all sorts of micro and macro uh, tools that we can use to to get to that reclamation of roles of Indigenous matriarchs in their community.
4: And can I just say that, um, you know, um, in our Indigenous communities, women are the caregivers of the home. We are the leaders in the home. We Before the Indian Act was in, pos- in place, and even before colonization, we were the leaders. We took care of community. We kept everyone together. We carry our children in the womb. That's a home. And so from the very start, We are the caregivers, and that's why women need to lead this.
0: Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca.
3: This is so it, it's such an honor to be on this podcast with Catley and Kaloud. You speak so beautifully to this, um, and and thank you so much for that question, Michael. And in terms of thinking about how did this come about and why is it important and um, I, on on our side at the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network, I think, you know, I think our I I link the work we do to a long history of uh, intersectional feminist struggles, and, um, you know, I think when I th- I think about feminist organizing specifically around socioeconomic justice and equity and what that looks like for women and just uh, and gender diverse people and we know that housing and access to housing is one of the key determinants of socioeconomic status and we know women and gender diverse folks are facing really severe inequality in that area um and this is something that feminists have been struggling for for decades you know in canada for example you could, if you're a woman, you couldn't open a bank account till 1964 without your husband's signature. Um, so even access to capital of any kind, um, like there's been a long history of struggle that I think sometimes we can forget that have gotten us to, uh, improvements in terms of equity and, we have to have like a a kind of a deep understanding and knowledge of this history. And that's where I place, I place our claim in part of a larger history of organizing um, for justice and equity on the basis of gender and, um, and other intersections. And kind of in this tradition of seeking justice, justice through a human rights lens as well, and, and through human rights accountability. And that's in part why this legislation is so powerful and, Um, For anyone who's listening to this, I would just deeply encourage you to look at the legislation, the National Housing Strategy Act, and think about, okay, this is a new tool in our toolbox in terms of of movement building, in terms of thinking about uh, what housing justice looks like in Canada. And its power will in part be determined by the extent to which we seize it and we make it meaningful. And so when I think about, okay, why is this claim important? What's different about it? It really is for us an assertion, an assertion of our right to equality or our right to housing. Um, and a, a kind of rallying cry around, we don't, there isn't a future for folks in the current housing system. We are one of the top 10 like, wealthiest countries in the world. Um, it is completely absurd, as I'm sure all the listeners would agree, that in such a wealthy country, there is no reason we don't ensure adequate access to adequate housing for all people that um, uh, this is, yeah, it's, it violates our, our inherent dignity, our inherent rights. Um, so it's part of that history that I see um, driving this claim. I see us as part of, part of that, that struggle and intersectional struggles and um, in deep solidarity with the struggles of Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirited folks who are advancing their inherent rights to land, um, to housing in the ways that, that Callie so beautifully articulates. Um, yeah, so I'll leave it there.
1: It's, it's interesting. I think so many people, right, we, a large part of why we do this podcast is awareness, right, because there's a lot of assumptions made. We've come so far, Canada's a great country, we've got all sorts, of, we've, there's been so many changes. Um, and there has been progress, but as we've seen, especially with our neighbors to the south, uh, a few steps forward, many steps back. You know, I am a, a positive person, but you know, you would hope, you know, in a perfect world, there would not be a need for a claim like this. But this is far from perfect. We see the injustice here, uh, but this is a huge undertaking, and I know this wasn't an overnight process. <laughs> I said, "Go not yes, 50-page document." lots of people involved can you talk to us a little bit about the process how this all comes together so people may not understand how this all comes together and, and how you submit it can you walk us through the pro, uh the process a little bit
2: i was really burning to uh say this for for the last question and i think it's it, it's it it's a good answer for this question as well which is when we first um brought up so we we uh work with the national indigenous Feminist Housing Working Group, where Catlia and Marie, who I was mentioning earlier, chair the working group. And when when Caitlin first talked to me about this, and I brought this to the working group, um, one of the things that many people in the working group articulated is that Indigenous people don't need colonial governments to grant them rights. And I think that is a very important articulation. That the engagement with, and and that's what we built our process around, that our engagement with the federal housing advocate was in no way to situate Indigenous people in this position of asking for their rights to be met. It really is a process of seeing where and how the Canadian government is putting barriers in Indigenous people meeting their own needs and their own rights to self-determination. So when we started asking questions and started building out the process, what we started talking to people about was not what housing situation was looking like in their communities and stuff, because I think communities have been talking about it for years and years and years. And I don't think, I don't, I think, I truly believe that it's against, folks dignity to consistently be asking them what are the challenges that they're going through this is not the first time that we've engaged on a housing process what we started talking about was how how is it what do what does a human rights process look like when it's led by indigenous people what are the priorities where where would they want focuses to be what does solution building look like and that's where we were able to Uh, get to these really rich conversations about land rights and self-determination and women's roles. Because really that's what the human rights process and engagement in human rights process is for the the communities that we've talked to so far. They're interested in solution building. They're interested in self-determination. They're no longer looking towards the government to come and meet a certain need in their community because the government has failed them multiple times and continues to fail them. And unfortunately, fails to make any space for them to, to take on their own self-determination. So this uh, is is so much, more, for us, so much more was about how do we shift the narrative before, you know, the, the federal housing advocate really, like, you know, gets the chance to articulate, how do we kind of get into the door and let them know that we, we're not trying to get any sort of housing rights articulated that doesn't come from the indigenous communities. And any sort of human process that's coming in should be coming from the communities. And I'll, I'll stop there and I'll just pass it on to maybe Kelly or Caitlin, who wants to go next.
4: Yeah, I mean, Caitlin and Kalud have done a lot of the work uh, leading up to this, putting together everything and uh, getting people in the same room and navigating all of these different moving parts and coordinating logistics around uh, meetings and things like that and just getting people in the room to discuss these important issues so I'm really thankful to them for getting that all um, that background work done Um, but I just wanted to say you know like for me I'm not uh, advocate for housing I'm an advocate for autonomy and home ownership in the form of green energy so our group is really uh, looking to be able to have um, women build their own homes on their own um, lands in their own way they want them to be where it actually feels like a home where they're not paying an arm and a leg to live um, and yeah so I think like it, there's a lot of confusion when we say housing um, because housing can mean many things but for me housing means autonomy over where you live and a sense of pride and a sense of belonging and a sense of um, purpose to the greater community and a healthy community. So when we can get to that, uh, that's all the better. And that's where we're headed. We're, we're looking to do that work as much as possible and not just sit in meetings and talk, but actually put this into action. And we're we're on the ground and we're doing this action as fast as possible because we know this is an emergency. It's it's immediate need. I mean, when I walk to work and um, I, I go into the building, there are homeless people sleeping on the ground um, you know, trying to get out of the sun and I have to walk past them. And that, you know, it's, it's so hard when I'm working in this field and in this environment and I'm trying to make change and I'm not seeing the change happen fast enough. And then here I am, um, living, you know, uh, in a comfortable life and I'm doing this work and I just, I always keep myself in check and remember that, you know, it can all be taken away from me too, very quickly. And, um, I'm very thankful that I have people that I can lean on for support to help me to be where I am today. So it is a matter of working together as much as possible to help other people because some people really do need that assistance and without it, um, it's very discouraging to navigate these systems of change. Like it's very, if it's hard for us, it's hard for somebody that doesn't have a home to do this work. So we have to be those advocates and we have to be those voices.
3: Oh, that's so beautifully, beautifully said, Kalia. I, I think when I think about um, what we've been doing on the women's network side, it is in that spirit of like tremendous urgency and this deep desire for collaborative work to drive forward much better human rights outcomes that we know are achievable. So in a very, practical way in terms of what we actually did to build this claim. Um, We pulled together a task force of about 30 women and gender diverse folks across the country, really spanning expertise um, and lived expert leadership was really key to that. Um, So we were always guided by lived experts um, in the work we did and, and how we articulated the claim and yeah, it was a, a, a ton of meetings, a ton of talking about prioritization or and analysis and how do we think about this and what do we really want here and what does it mean for housing to be a human right? And um, all of those kind of debates and thinking um, is what formed our claim and uh, we were really lucky to bring in a number of experts to to also guide us and, and we had Bruce Porter, who's uh, International Human Rights expert, uh, in the area of housing who, who supported our work. And, um, yeah, it was a very, it was a very beautiful process. And, and from here, uh, what we're, uh, heading towards is, is doing some evidence gathering, um, around the human rights violations, um, that folks are experiencing across the country to create space for local organizing, but also for lived experts to be articulating what the right to housing means for them, uh, personally. But what I would say, just for anyone who's listening, you know, both of our groups went through these distinct processes that we developed ourselves. Um, but you can also do a claim, and it doesn't take that long. Like you can do one as an individual, and it can take an hour or two hours, or you could do one as a group, as an organization. So um, that's just to say there's tremendous opportunities to engage with this legislation and this human rights body. Um, that's not necessarily as like months long, robust in the ways that ours were, but um, can be really meaningful and rich as well.
1: Uh, thank you all for that. Now, June Fourteenth, you put in the claims. What has the response been so far? Caitlin, we'll we'll start with you.
3: Yeah, the response has been so um, moving, frankly, because what we've heard from women and gender diverse folks across the country is like, I see myself in this claim. I see my reality, my experience, the ways in which um, my rights, my dignity, my sense of self are being eroded by how we organize um, housing and uh, particularly how we organize it in relation to people's identities and their social locations. And in our case, we're very focused on gender and understanding the ways in which um, we're really missing that part in terms of how we deliver housing. So the most important thing, I think, for us is hearing from directly from folks who are experiencing homelessness or housing need who are saying this matters to me. I see myself in this. How can I get involved? Um, so we've had a whole bunch of folks reach out about, you know, I want to do evidence gathering in my community. Uh, how do I take this claim and and move it forward in my community? Um, and. Fortunately, there was also a kind of, we did a big launch of these claims on Parliament Hill on June 14th, Um, kind of quite a powerful event. You can see the video on on womenshomelessness.ca and uh, there was great media uptake. So that was really exciting, especially for the Indigenous claim. Um, it, it It was really thrilling to see the extent of media interest and the ways in which it resonated on the ground for folks. Um, so, yeah, exciting, exciting response so far.
1: And Katlia, the indigenous community, has uh, there been a bit of good response to it? What, what have you heard?
4: Well, So far, to be honest, there's been a fear-based response. Um, some people are afraid to come forward and share their experiences in the housing system and being homeless because what if uh, they say something that will get them evicted? There's distrust in the government. We have to explicitly let people know that we are not government affiliated. We are independent, and um, hopefully, we can gain that trust. And we're not just compiling information and putting it on a shelf like every other report that we're actually going to do something about it. And um, so, yeah, it's about building that trust, and it's just it's it's still very new. Like we're still just unrolling the community level um, submission claims. So, but what I've heard so far is that there is a fear of kind of, um, you know, saying something and then having that uh, retribution or repercussions from that. So yeah, that's my job is to try to make people feel as comfortable as possible to share their stories because it's important that we hear what they have to say in order to make change. But then it's very disheartening when that change actually doesn't happen and they Like Khalid said, they've said their story millions of times over and nothing ends up happening and it's very discouraging and it's almost, it's defeatist. So hopefully uh, this is not just another, you know, this is, we hope to let them know that um, we can work with them and we will follow up with with people where it's very individualistic, where we're making, um, building relations. And there's also a lot of other women across Canada doing this work too and trying to do startups in the same that way that we are and we're trying to let them know you know we're not we're not stepping on toes we're not competing with each other yeah our work might be overlapping um, but it's important work and like so how can we work together and unify and make ourselves even stronger in partnership
1: yeah I can see where that you know so many years of distress is hard to, and for a lot of people, and we'll talk about that in a minute. It's great that you're doing this. When I see action, maybe you'll have my buy-in. But until that action happens, we've been through this before, right? could anything to, to add on the response. I mean, what do what you see?
2: Um, everything that Caitlin and Katlia added. Um, I just I think the only thing I'll say is um, we're really interested in working with folks that are already doing this work in their communities. This is not at all about stepping on anyone's toes or taking up space that folks have built through their own community building and relationship building processes. This is about strengthening relationships and centering Uh, all all of that energy in some form of a movement building uh, capacity. So, you know, realities look different. Um, Northern Ontario looks very different from Toronto. Uh, Northwest Territories looks very different from what's happening, you know, in Calgary. So we have to acknowledge those realities and we have to acknowledge that the people that are living those realities and you know reckoning with those systems of power have the most amount of knowledge on what to do with it so how do you make the human rights process um add power to the work that they're already doing and and for for me in supporting the work that the national working group has been doing and supporting the work that marie and katlia do for me the biggest question has been how do we use our energies to build power at local level and that's where a lot of my interest is in on working with Caitlin on this and in working with Catley on this as well.
1: Well, well, let's stay on that theme. You're talking about, I know Catley had talked about this as well. We talked about action, right? So you submit the claims. What are the hopes moving forward? What does action look like? What does success look like uh, with these claims pushing forward? We'll start with you, Glee.
2: Oh, I get to speak again. uh, You know, um, to be quite honest, I think success looks like how communities articulate success. For a community, uh, you know, for um, we're working with advocates that, that see success in tenant power and tenant organizing. Then that's what success looks like. We're working with communities that want urban land back and urban land presence for Indigenous women and gender diverse people. That's what success looks like. So really the human rights process on, on uh, the Indigenous women and gender diverse people end of things, the success is whatever they articulated, given their realities and given their contexts. On the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network side of things, success is seeing real concrete commitments and policy change. And Not to say that that's not what success is looking like on indigenous end of things as well, but really seeing how people are, are can hold accountability uh, and, and speak their truth to power and getting accountability from different levels of government not just the federal government, because we know that it's not all in the hands of federal government when it comes to housing. We need to see municipal level change. We need to see provincial level change. And I always say that municipalities are where a lot of um, action happens and how do we create power at that local level? So again, very similar line of thought, but you know, in different ways of doing things. And then at the end of the day, building local power for me, I would say, like, the more organized we are in communicating what we want to see, the more power there is in all of this. So if we can add that capacity, build that power, connect people, do very strong relationship building, let folks know that we're not out here trying to be a mouthpiece for any body of government, but we're really there to help them build power in their communities. I I see that to be the way forward. And, And that's how I would at least articulate success.
3: Caitlin or Kelly, what is what is not or what
1: does action look like? I know there's many many steps to this, and there's this you know this end, end goal of housing, right? If I hear, I mean, let's let's get a safe, affordable housing of my choice. But what does action look like to you? What will when will the community say, well done?
3: Whoa, huge question, Michael. That's a good one,
4: Kelly. I'll, I'll you go ahead first. Okay. Um. Yeah, that is a big question, but I think. Um, when housing no longer perpetuates poverty um, and violence and when uh, housing corporations no longer capitalize on poverty that's when we'll know when we're successful and uh, sometimes it takes a small um, pilot project like a tiny home community that's off-grid where people are helping one another um, and where money is not factored in, where people are literally living uh, again for free um, right now, you know, housing is so expensive across the board, people can't afford to live. So let's let's stop making it about money. Let's just completely keep money out of the equation. I know that sounds absolutely absurd and radical, but it can be done. We need to. We need to uh, set our sights on the power corporations that are intricately linked to housing, where they're no longer want. They don't want to give up control because if they give up control of the uh, status quo, business as usual, and let go of uh, greenhouse gases, they're no longer going to make money, right? But there are ways, and we know that we know that people can live completely off grid, green energy, solar, biomass, wind. Uh, all these intermittent technologies put together can actually sustain entire communities. And, um, we need to start actually looking at that and seeing how that can pair with housing and, and really just, um, yeah, just, just tackle all of these corporations, these governments that are working together that are not wanting to make that change.
3: I love, So beautifully articulated. I, I would, yeah. I mean, when I think about what success looks like, um, both Kalud and Kalia always articulate what transformative change really is. Um, uh, like all the way from the municipal to the national and international level, and um, inspired by both of them when they when they speak about this, um, when I I think uh, in kind of concrete terms around this particular claim and where we're headed with the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network, we are looking for very concrete policy changes, um, including in the area of financialization in many of the ways that Callie had just articulated. Um, But also a a ton of our research over the last few years has been looking at the national housing strategy and identifying the ways in which there are significant inequities on the basis of gender, on the basis of disability, on the basis of race, in terms of outcomes. And um, our hope would be that we would have a national housing strategy that would be aligned with the human right to housing. And this is articulated in legislation. This is how it's, how it's written in the legislation is this is the official housing policy of Canada. Um, and so what we're hoping for in part with this claim is a realignment with the human right to housing as it's articulated in law, in policy. So a lot of our work has been to document where there are, are divergences and what it would take to get closer um, what it would take to really be getting at substantive equality, to really be prioritizing those most in need, um, to get getting at um, building a housing system that is not based on the commoditization of land and property, um, but is based on housing as as a social good and and foundational to human connection and human life and in the ways that Klud and Katlia articulate so beautifully. Um, but yeah, this, that's a podcast episode unto itself, Michael, uh, w- what change looks like, what action looks like. I, I love that question. Thank you so much for that.
4: And can I just say that money does matter when it comes to us getting the funding to do this work? Um, yeah, so money is definitely important in that way with philanthropy. Uh, so if there's any philanthropists out there listening, we would gladly accept the funds. Um, also too I mean when it comes to the power corporations I myself have had my power turned off as a single mother because my bill was late seventy five dollars so there are people uh, that are having their power cut off in the Northwest Territories and it is happening uh, it's illegal to do this but I believe it is happening in minus forty degrees weather so if you take that into consideration you and your family sitting in the dark freezing um, that's a real, real concern. And we need to really look at that's why I'm so um, advocating for looking into the power corporations as well and taking them to task.
1: Yeah. So I mean, just over the last while, too, and you see it, it's always been there. There's this greed, right, from corporations. And that's what, listen, listen. we could call it many different things, but it is greed. Um, last week, reading about how your, your major grocers, are, you know, it's above inflation, it's just greed. Wanting more, and, and who is that on the backs of, right? And all these people already uh, power corporations doing that with, with power, and, and you know, um, and is that the society we want to live in, right? And that is another podcast as well, but it is it does come down to greed. Now we've had uh, policy experts like yourselves be on the show, and they said, look, homelessness is a direct result of bad policy. We need better policy. We, can we all agree on that? And one of the actions coming out of this would be some major policy changes uh, that would result in the actions that you've all spoken so beautifully about. So people want to get involved, right? We want, and that's what I heard Kalu saying, hey, look, this is only gonna work if that kind of groundswell, that local. Groundswell. And I love what you said too. I remember Adam Vaughn talking about it. He said, look, um, you need all three levels of government to cooperate on this or nothing's gonna happen, right? The feds could pump all sorts of money but it stops at at the territories and provinces, and then it stops at municipalities, right, with a different rule. So you need all three. Not an easy task, we know of that, right? You have different terms of government, different types of government uh, in there, but we need that to happen. How can people get involved as an individual, or if there's the groups out there that you're talking about doing amazing work that you want to work with, not against, how do they get involved in this and be part of uh, this amazing uh, grass pushing forward for change?
3: maybe i'll I'll start with some just some practical stuff around the claim and then pass it on. Um, so what we would love to see, and I think is incredibly powerful, is having individuals, groups, and organizations submit their own claim in solidarity with um, either both or one of these two claims. Um so sending in an articulation of the human rights violations that you're experiencing in the area of housing. It doesn't take that long. You just go to the Federal Housing Advocate Office's website um, and you can submit a claim probably in between an hour and three hours um, and articulate, like, I, I submit this claim in support of these broader claims that, that the Women's National Housing and Homelessness Network have put forward and the National Feminist Indigenous um, work, Housing Working Group has as well. So... I would just kindly ask all of the readers to engage in that way or let the office know that you support these claims. Um, And please read the claims, go to womenshomelessness.ca, check them out and, you know, all the stuff around subscribing and that kind of thing. But um, so that's on the practical side on on kind of the more aspirational side, you know, we really need to be moving towards a rearticulation of what housing means. And so building uh, local thinking, local power on what does the right to housing look like for me, for my community, um, and where are there opportunities and levers for change? And just reach out to us. Um, we're very, very interested in partnering with any organizations or groups who, who are looking at the intersection of gender and housing and um, thinking about it from a human rights lens and uh, a feminist lens.
1: Lute or Kelly, anything to add about people getting involved?
4: Well, I would just say that um, there's also one other government that's very important, the nation to nation with First Nations, Indigenous people, Métis, Inuit. Um, they need to be at the table for sure when and talking about policy reform. And yeah, it comes down to legislative uh, change and amendments and also just those minor policies that are actually very easy to um to change within uh, branches of government, but they somehow try to act like they're very difficult. So um, yeah, I mean, it's about getting the First Nations to get on board as well, because here in my home territory, um, one of the issues that we're up against is just the land allocations. And um, if somebody's not a member of the reserve, then well, why would they uh, allow them to come into their community? And so there's a lot of like, Uh, intricacies that way and having to figure out how um, First Nations are able to help their members, but also possibly help others that are living on their territory or um, those that are living off of reserve that need assistance. And often the funding that is provided to First Nations is for only for on reserve. So really making sure to include that into the conversation is important.
1: Absolutely. And thank you for that clarification as well.
4: I think Katlia
2: and Caitlin have captured everything I would have wanted to say, Michael. I just add that if folks want to work together, if they see value in this work and they want to reach out, um, I I wonder if we're able to put out some, you know, womenshomelessness.ca is the easiest uh, place to kind of get in touch with us. And we have information lined up there and really, really interested in looking at how people articulate their own ways of uh what human rights uh, housing as a human right looks to them, and that 's where I think is the power is and I really hope that our efforts are leading towards that.
1: I absolutely think they are you know it's when we first started talking about housing as a human right, not having a policy background myself, I was like, well, so what does that mean right and and, and so does that mean that everyone now that that's passed can demand housing? And so we look for some examples of that. And I always think of the one uh, in Wales, where it's the duty to assist, you know, um, for certain, and again, there was certain uh, populations. I think uh, women with children, one of them saying, listen, you've got two weeks. Government is two weeks to find housing, suitable, affordable housing. Otherwise, they're held liable. And, I I, and now I don't know how that all plays out, if they don't, what the, the ramifications are. But I love the action pieces of, you know, you've got to really have it. It has to have some teeth. And I am no doubt with the three of you leading the way and many others uh, who are doing incredible work that we are going to have some action steps with real teeth. We're going to see policy changes pushing forward. So uh, thank you so much for uh, your incredibly busy people. I know that. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to come on the podcast to talk about this brilliant work and this important work. Um, and please keep, keep pushing forward. It's so appreciated by uh, so many.
3: Thank you so, so much for having us, Michael. It's always an honor uh, to connect with you and, and to connect with Katli and collude. Likewise.
4: Thank you.
1: Well, you know, uh, I learned a lot on most podcasts. I learned a heck of a lot today. Um, and it's, you know, it's complex, but it's not. It kind of starts and ends with housing. That's what it is, affordable, safe housing for all. Caitlin said it, during the, you know, in a country like Canada, it's a pretty basic need. Why can't we get this straight? We know the solutions; they're all out there. Uh, Katlia talked about it too. You know, you, you have tiny home communities. There's all sorts of projects that we've seen that work, um, and that can happen real quick, right? We saw it during the pandemic when you had political will and you had money, how quick this sector can mobilize to house people and make it work, right? That's what you need, and, and I think uh, with these strong individuals leading the way and, and so many amazing leaders pushing forward this work, you know, the future is positive, but we do need your help. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, as Caitlin said, support the claim, write your own claim, supporting the claim. It doesn't take long. If you need help, I'm sure you could reach out uh, and and they'll help you shape it. But this is how it's going to work. It's got to help it happen, you know, that groundswell on the local level has to happen. It looks a little different for everyone, as Kalu said, right? It looks a little different, but we can make this happen. We have to do it together. The voices of lived experts are needed. We want to hear from you. So please keep pushing forward. And if you want to check out the claim, go to the website, uh, as mentioned on this podcast, be part of the solution. Wow. Uh, one of my favorites so far, another great episode, some great guests. We'll see you next time on the way home.